Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of The Real Estate Rundown. In this episode, I'm joined by Matthew Sullivan, and I had the pleasure of being a guest on Matthew's podcast called Hooked on Startups recently, and I convinced him to come over here and join us in The Real Estate Rundown because we're going to talk about a new debt-free way of unlocking your home's equity and ways to invest in homes that are under owner-occupied and not for sale. So in this episode, we're going to discuss unlocking equity. We're going to talk about how investors can get access to an untapped $13 trillion of real estate asset class. Don't tell the federal government they'll want that. And the difference between home equity contract and a mortgage. So guys, you're definitely going to want to tune in as Matthew and I dive into this incredibly, incredibly mind-boggling conversation that we're going to have because I've already spoken with Matthew. I know how this is going to work. So Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Shannon, thank you for having me on. What a, what a great entree. I have no idea how I'm going to follow any of that, but I'll do my best. <laughs> well, first of all, let's talk about how you got from Matthew coming into the business world to where you are right now. Give us a little bit of background on where your expertise lies and what got you to where you're at? Well, that's a very dangerous thing to ask. Where is your expertise? Well, I can tell you, this is where it begins and this is where it ends. But I think my background has been very much entrepreneurial, which is another way of saying that I can't hold down a job. So I started off my career as in insurance and then very quickly moved to stockbroking or trading. And that was back in the late 80s. So I got involved in sort of finance at a very early age. Um, moved into corporate finance, a small London-based boutique corporate finance operation. And then in the late 90s, we ended up working very closely with Sir Richard Branson. We started off really working with him on the Virgin Global Challenger, which is the round-the-world balloon expedition to try and circumnavigate the world. So that was our balloon company. My boss, Rory McCarthy, was the pilot, co-pilot with wow. Richard so, a fantastic sort of view of Sir Richard and, and all of the companies that he worked with. And then so the late 90s, I then really embarked on my own career, self-employed, uh, entrepreneurial career, started off in telecommunications. So I'm not sure if you remember when AT&T was like the only telecoms company, and then it span off and you had these local exchange providers and telecommunications became unbundled and competition came in. So I started embarked on a, a number of businesses in that area, which is absolutely fascinating because it was sort of combined the things I love, which was technology and the ability to build platforms where you could build something once and use it time and time again. Yeah. Um, got involved with a startup in the internet in the late 90s, early 2000, which was VC funded. 
And then since then, really, I was involved in a number of companies in a number of countries, Australia, India, UK, moved to the US about seven and a half, eight years ago, really just wanting to find something that could combine all of those experiences. I mean, really love technology. I understand it. I'm a terrible programmer, but I, I used to love doing it. But I always wanted to get involved in real estate because it's something that had fascinated me. And when I moved over here, I began to realize just what a huge sort of multi-layered industry it was. And I moved here at the same time that the Jobs Act had been passed at Barack Obama. So we had this ability to offer or raise capital through online platforms. So it checked the boxes like something online, check, capital financing, check, and real estate. So I started off by building this one of the very early real estate crowdfunding platforms, which didn't really go anywhere between you and me. But at that point, I sort of stumbled across this really intriguing asset class, which is home equity, which sort of fascinated me for a good few years until I was able to sort of consolidate my thoughts and create something that allowed us to bring a solution to home equity to the market. So one of the things that you're talking about when you're talking about home equity, you're talking about something that in the last couple of years, we here in the United States have more of than ever in history, but that hasn't always been the case. Sometimes we've had in 09, 2010, we had no equity, right? We had negative equity and now we have positive equity. And what does that mean when we talk about being cash poor, but you've got all this equity and how does that leave the average American disadvantaged? Well, I think really it's a strange phenomenon because particularly over the last 18 months, we've seen significant house price appreciation in a number of areas across the US. And what that means is if you're a homeowner, you have probably seen the value of your home increase significantly. But at the same time, because of the economic pressures that have been caused by the pandemic and the implications of that, you're probably finding it harder to make money than you did, or you're finding it that your economic situation may well have got worse. So you've got this sort of two strange sort of repelling forces. On one hand, on paper, you're worth a few hundred thousand dollars, but you can't afford the grocery bill this month. So we describe that as being house rich and cash poor. And what home equity is, it's an asset. It is value that is trapped in a single concentrated asset that you can't trade, that you can't do anything with. It doesn't generate cash flow. It's the value of your home. Now, you can access that when you sell your home, but you don't want to sell your home because you quite like living in it. So it's this strange sort of tension. So the, the only way that you can access home equity today, other than the agreements that we work with, is by borrowing money. So you go to the bank, you borrow money, and you use your home equity or your your house as security. So that means the bank says, great, we'll lend you some money, we'll use your house as security. So if you miss any payments, we'll come along and take your house, we'll sell it for pennies on the dollar, we'll get repaid, and if there's anything left over, it's yours. That's the problem that we sort of are looking at, where even though millions of Americans now have more than 50% 
ownership of their of their home. They can't do anything with it. Well, because the reality is if they're looking to cash out of that, they get the cash, but then their payment goes up, right? And so now they couldn't afford the groceries anyway, but now they got some cash out so they can catch up on some of the bills, pay down the credit cards, do some other things, maybe help their situation out. But now they got another bill to go with that. Precisely. And that's the problem. What you're doing is you're sort of kicking the can down the road, as it were. Or robbing um, Peter to pay Paul. And Peter doesn't like that when you do that to it. Exactly. And you're absolutely right, because what happens is you are actually making the situation worse because, I mean, we all know this. And this is why people don't like the idea of tapping into their equity, because they naturally assume that if I'm trying to access some of my home wealth, which is my equity, then the only way to do that is to put a further financial burden on me by having greater monthly payments. And we found this, there is this psychological attachment to equity. You must not touch your equity because it's going to end in tears and the bank are going to come and take your house. Now, the other thing I want to mention is if you look in the commercial real estate world, there are any number of different ways of funding commercial real estate developments at the debt level and also at the equity level. So at the debt level, you have different flavors of debt, but also you have investors that come in and invest in the equity in projects. And equity can be straightforward ownership. It can be equity. It can be preferred equity. It can be a combination of debt and equity where you have a mortgage that has a share of the potential appreciation. So in the commercial world, there are all sorts of financial instruments that allow the creation of this so-called capital stack that has lots of different layers um, comprising equity and debt funding. In residential real estate, there are none of those equity-based funding options that are available other than until we and other companies came along and said, let's start bringing some of those tried and tested commercial practices, which, as you rightly say, opens up a multi-trillion dollar marketplace. So when you talk about yourself and other companies, we don't want to talk about hearsay. So we won't talk about the other companies. Let's talk about your company. What is it that you guys are doing that allows me to get access to my equity, get that cash out without increasing my payment and without having to worry about losing the house if I can't make a payment that doesn't exist? I'm confused, but I know that you'll bring clarity to that. And the way to answer that is to say that we are investors, not lenders. So Uh we don't lend money. We invest in the potential for your house to appreciate, and we get paid by taking a share of that appreciation when you sell your home. So you're syndicators on single family? I suppose in a certain extent we are, but the big difference is we don't own your property. We don't have any property rights. We're not going to come and knock on your door and camp out in your spare bedroom. So we don't have the obligation associated with home ownership. But what we have through our agreements is the benefit, which is the equity, the the increase in capital value of the home, which is really all we want. So from a homeowner, it benefits you to remain as the owner of the property without having someone else on title, because that has all sorts of complications in terms of property tax valuations, and also from a psychological perspective, you know, it's no longer your home. And it's amazing how people get tied into the psychological part of it and how much that actually plays into what we think and how we think and what decisions we make. So by removing that and having equity partners, 
What is it that you're calling that? And what's the mechanism that you're using to do that with? Well, we call it a home equity agreement. So this type of agreement has been around for over a decade. So it's not new. It's an option agreement that sits outside the ownership of the property, where the homeowner, who has all sorts of rights as a homeowner in terms of what he does with his property or her property, and the agreement says, if we invest a certain amount of capital with you, so here's our investment, here's our lump sum, you take that and in exchange, you promise to us that when you sell your home, which can be any time in the next 30 years or 10 years or 20 years, depending on the agreement we have, when you sell your home, you'll give us back the original investment that we made and we will carve up the amount it's gone up in value and we'll take some and you'll take some. And what we'll do is we'll be very specific about what that share is when we sign the agreement. So we know that if your house goes up or down, we still have that share. And so we're very clear at the very beginning how that works. So it sits outside of the, you know, the ownership equation. It's protected by a lien on title. And what that means is when you sell your home, when the capital flows through escrow as a lien holder, we get paid first. So that means we have a preferred equity position. So we get paid before you get paid. But the benefit to you is that you get a cash lump sum. There's no immediate tax implications. It's not income. It's not capital gains because you haven't sold anything. And you can use that money for whatever you want. It's not debt. So it doesn't appear on your credit report as debt. You're not robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're selling some of your asset so that you can use that to pay down some of your debt. So the reality is then that we're fractionalizing this, but how do we commemorate this? I mean, what is the... The instrument. So the, the instrument, instrument, there's the contract itself, which is an agreement. And the agreement says, in exchange for something we give you, you give something to us, like any agreement. So what we're giving you is that cash lump sum, and it's a specific amount. And there's all sorts of underwriting that goes on behind the scenes to say, how much are we going to give you? It's based on what your house is worth, what your current mortgage is, to a certain extent, what your credit score is. But we just use that as a gating mechanism, because remember, you're not taking on more debt. So there's a lot of underwriting that goes on before we make an offer. And so in exchange for that lump sum, you're going to promise to us that you're going to look after the property, that you're not going to let it fall into disrepair, that you're going to pay your mortgage, your taxes and other things. But you also promise that when you sell your property, that you'll give us back the capital together with a predetermined share. So that agreement is memorialized in the contract, but it is also represented by something that looks similar to a deed of trust, which is then put on the title as a lien. So it has language that's very similar that says there is an agreement in place. That agreement is a performance deed of trust. So in other words, the lien reflects the terms of the agreement that we have with you as the homeowner. The thing that I hear you saying, Matthew, that I look at it, and I think that's a great deal for the homeowner, right? Because he's able to get that equity He's able to do that in a way that doesn't increase his payment. He's able to give you know, some of the upside for that, but that's for not having a payment and all that. But what about the people that come in and buy the fractions of that? Doesn't that put them in a fairly 
illiquid position in a way that doesn't allow them much control if you decide to hang on to your house for 25 or 28 years? And you're absolutely right to mention that because one of the biggest challenges we came across in the early days, like you know, five, six years ago, looking at this, is you're doing great things for the homeowner. You're creating an asset. So remember, this contract itself has a return profile. So it's recorded by a lien. It's, it's asset-backed, but it's long-dated. So you're absolutely right. What happens if the person stays in the home for 30 years? Am I going to have to wait 30 years for my money? And the answer is, well, yes, in that case. Although, how many people sign up to a 30-year mortgage and actually keep the same mortgage for 30 years? You don't, because human nature and statistics show us that most people move every seven years. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I remember somewhere that it's only about seven years. And I think by the time I was 30, I'd moved about 42 times. But that's I, right. Yes, exactly. I, I've learned since then, if you pay- but Did they bills, actually catch you in the end? Did they- Yeah, well, that, that's what I learned. If you pay the bills, they don't keep coming after you. you right. know? So, yeah. so I finally figured that out. But that seems like, a, but then again, the longer the contract's held, the more money that's paid because your share keeps going up. It's not that you're set on a fixed rate. You're right, exactly. And what happens is that begs the next question. Well, what is, how do you calculate the return profile for the investor? So, and the way that our agreements are work, structured, remember, we talked about options. So it's an option in exchange for this, we get that if this happens. But what we get is an enhanced return. So if we invest in 10% of the value of your home, we don't get 10% of the equity increase. We'll get 25 or 30% of the amount of increase in value. So we get an enhanced or a magnified return. And that really reflects the difference between the value of money today and the value of money potentially in the future. So there's that sort of future money, future value equation. So there's something that we refer to as structural leverage. In other words, there is no leverage in our agreements, there's no debt, but it has the same effect because it gives you more compared to the amount of equity that you have. So there's one thing that makes it interesting. So the investor's eyebrows are raised, they're intrigued, they're saying, okay, structural leverage, that's good. And we also have downside protection. So when we go into this equation or this relationship with you as a homeowner, even though your house may be worth a million dollars today, we're going to start the clock ticking at a lower figure. So we're going to apply a bit of a discount, it builds in a cushion. So if your property does go down in value, the, the investor is still going to make a return. Liquidity, though, is the big issue. So even though this is a great return and I can mark my investments to market every month because all I've got to do is figure out how much the underlying property has gone up, then I can calculate how much more my investment's worth. If I can't liquidate that and there's no cash pay, that's not attractive. So that's why we set about building the other part of our company, which is the exchange side, which will very shortly allow people who have invested in these home equity agreements, we will create a marketplace where we will take that agreement and market it, chop it up into lots of little pieces and offer it for sale to other investors. So smaller investors typically will be able to come in and buy a share of that big agreement to suit their pocket. So even though the, the main agreement might be a half a million dollar deal to a homeowner that has a property in Malibu, for example, and um, to the smaller investors, they can buy $1,000 worth of that agreement and still have the same financial return and still know that they're investing in high-profile 
you know, Californian coastal real estate. Well, if you've got one note that's, let's go with the half a million, and you're going to cut that up into 500 pieces, does that make that a paperwork nightmare? You're very generous, Shan, asking all these wonderful questions. <laughs> this is where our dear friend of blockchain uh, comes ah. in. But you can see where this is. So we struggled with this because you're absolutely right. If you have all of these moving pieces, how do you do that? And the answer is the same way that companies that have thousands and thousands of tiny, you know, very small shareholders, you keep track of that through systems. Now, you can build systems in different ways. Blockchain comes along four or five years ago. And I remember when, when I was first introduced to this concept of blockchain, you should look it up on the internet and it says a distributed ledger technology. And you think, well, that's not interesting. You know, I think I must be reading about the wrong blockchain or something. <laughs> um, but then you wrote, hang a second. So if we can chop these things up and we can keep track of all these different trades and we can do it very efficiently and cost effectively, and we don't have to build these massive systems. You can use very thin technologies that everybody trusts. Then that makes this creation of a liquidity market or marketplace much more realistic. So four years ago, we founded Quantum on the basis that blockchain would be a key technology that underpins our ability to solve that problem, which is chopping up these assets and allowing small investors to buy them and then keep track of all of those individual individual trades. So you're one of the people that's not using it for money laundering and drug buying on the dark web, and you're actually using it for a lot of the intent that blockchain was created, and that is for the distribution of the information to all parties needing the information. And so really what I hear you saying is that if I own it today and I sell it to you tomorrow, that through your exchange is going to be updated without me having to let anybody know, without you having to let anybody know. But then all of a sudden, everybody knows that now you own part or all of what I had. It is exactly that. But also, it does it in a way that is compliant from a regulatory perspective. It does it in a way that people trust. It does it in a way where it's efficient and cost-effective. So you don't have to use legacy technologies. I mean, if you think about the amount of capital that it would take to build systems that were available to everyone with zero downtime, with 100% truth, as it were, or trust, and blockchain does that. So yes, you're absolutely right. So from a contractual perspective, and we're talking about this term smart contract, Everyone gets to know at the same time what they need to know, and everybody gets to do at the same time what they need to do. So you don't have this sort of daisy chain effect where if a trade happens, a trade happens in this platform, I then have to advise another platform. That platform has to advise another platform that then advises the bank, that sends the money that comes back and then confirms that that transaction's happened. Meanwhile, all of that happens in a seamless, contemporaneous way which people trust, which delivers the result that we want, which is to be able to take an asset, chop it up, deliver that to people. And that's the important thing, is what is the problem that we're solving? And how does blockchain and distributed ledger technologies make it possible when beforehand it wasn't possible? 
Well, and that's the thing that a lot of people look at and they go, and this is what crashed the market in 08 was the lack of transparency when the loan was done, right? Yeah. So really what you're saying is that you're figuring out a way to bring transparency to the equity situation to allow everyone to see what they need to see. You can't necessarily see what I have, but you can see that the trade happened. And then being able to compute that, make that settlement, make that transaction, it's really a beautiful thing. How is it that you're attracting people to the platform to be involved with that? Because I'm assuming that you're bringing people to the platform to say, hey, Matthew, I have $100,000 I'd like to invest or $50,000 I'd like to invest. How can I be involved? And then you are doing that whole process that then allows that to be part of that. How are you attracting your customers and how can people get involved with that? Well, the first thing is if there's two sides to the equation. So First of all, we have to make sure that we've got sufficient inventory. So, and this is what we've been working on for the last two and a half, three years, is being able to originate the deals. So our website speaks effectively two different languages. From a homeowner's perspective, it's a very straightforward process where you can do what you want to do, which is to access some of the equity in your home. You don't want to know about blockchain or trading or fractionalization. You just want to know how much can you get and what is the process. Um, from the investment perspective, we're finding a lot of interest, even though we are a few weeks away from launching, even though it all, we, we are very active on the origination side, the trading side, we've really been waiting for the blockchain technologies to catch up with the regulatory requirements because we are dealing in the securities environment. Which is a there is side. that beast. There is that beast for sure. Um, but yes, I mean, it's interesting because blockchain gives us that sizzle. In other words, people are interested to see how we are marrying blockchain with a real-life use case, which is accessing home equity. So we are using blockchain to enable something to happen that couldn't happen before, which actually helps people and solves a problem. So that in itself is interesting. Also, the return profile of the assets themselves is compelling because you're buying into the future appreciation of some pretty classy properties that are not for sale. And that's what you mentioned earlier. So the platform will allow you to become a real estate investor where you can pick and choose your own specific investments right down to the individual properties. And you'll be able to trade out. So not only can you buy in, again, subject to all the regulatory approvals, which we're, we're pretty certain we'll be able to get, you'll be able to sell your interests back into the marketplace and trade out and then move in and and that creates this concept or this idea of really creating liquidity into something that, as we said at the beginning, is static and concentrated and the opposite of liquid. Wow. Illiquid. That's the opposite of liquid. And that's the amazing thing about being an entrepreneur, because you begin to look at problems from a different angle. When you say blockchain technology, everybody immediately thinks of cryptocurrency. But here you've taken an entrepreneurial approach and you've said, well, wait a minute, let's look at the technology underneath it. Let's look at how this functions and let's look at a different way to solve a different problem. And in that, you've come up with an ingenious way to do that. Where do you think this platform of yours is going to go over the next three to five years? Well, I think the important thing to answer that question is, does it solve a problem? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. And that problem is going to get worse. And the problem is, how do you access home equity without taking on more debt? So 
there's more and more home equity. It's harder and harder to borrow money. It's a multi-trillion dollar asset class right now. So it has all of the ingredients to have legs, in other words. Yeah. So that in itself is a good thing. So that is going to help us. That sort of bow wave is going to help our platform solve problems for lots of people. So if we were just there and it was an interesting technical use of the blockchain technology, that doesn't really butter any parsnips, as we say in But if we're actually solving a major problem for lots of people, and at the same time, opening up an asset class where people can invest where they couldn't before, then I think that is likely to enable us to grow the platform. And all the indications are is that the timing is right for this. Timing is also very important. So from our perspective, house prices are very high. They're likely to continue to grow. People have an appetite to invest in real estate. People need to access capital. So those sort of three main pillars are likely to support the business, I think, for the foreseeable future. That's the funny thing. When you look at the disruptive technology that's happening that is really becoming the new wave of how things are being done, I can really see how this becomes the new funding mechanism for not being just the equity portion, but the debt portion as well. So now all you've done is fractionalize the home, which when I look at what's happening, I mean, look, the average home price in our area has gone from $200,000 five years ago to $400,000 now. That's not the travesty. The travesty is the homeowner that's trying to move into there for the first time, that's trying to do that with a 3% down, went from needing to come up with $6,000 to needing to come up with $12,000, which they live in that world that they are now trying to come up with $12,000 with $4.5 gas and all the other things that else that are going on. So at the end of the day, the dream of home ownership just became harder. Yes. This technology gives you the opportunity to look at it and go, but this could make it easier. Collectively, we can become homeowners. But also, yes, what it does is the person that had the $6,000, whilst they were building that up, they could theoretically invest in houses in that area and actually participate in that appreciation. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of caveats. Oh, yeah. And then a couple of guys like us, we could sit down and we could go through all the different wormholes that we could come up with that would be a twist on the business. But Matthew, I think you've really got something here that's amazing. And to think that it's unconventional or something that four or five years ago wasn't an option, it wasn't something that would have been viable, is just truly, truly amazing. Well, it's very kind. And the important thing is that it's not something we invented in terms of the home equity agreement. So that's actually a really good thing. So there's lots of other people do this. Well, I say lots. There's about five, six other companies that are offering home equity agreements. There's about a billion dollars a year now, we think, is being invested into home equity agreements. So it is great not to be on the bleeding edge. And it's great to have that sort of track record that other people bring because education is a big challenge. Yeah, It's fantastic having these great ideas, but trying to explain to people what the hell you're talking about right. um, is becoming easier now, thankfully. Yeah. And I just really enjoy the business because it has all those things that feed the entrepreneur's mind, you know, the creativity, the technology, and being able to see it getting some traction as well is great fun to watch. But thank you. You're very kind to say that. 
Well, Matthew, you've definitely got something there, and it will be great to watch over the next several years as this begins to grow and to bloom. And I really want to thank you for being with us today, Matthew, and thank you guys for tuning into the Real Estate Rundown. Don't forget to like and share and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast to get automatic updates. You'll also find us on Instagram, YouTube, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. But more importantly than that, I'd like to get you guys to go find Matthew where he's at on the World Wide Web. You can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram, but you can also listen to his podcast, Hooked on Startups, which is amazing because it's got me on it. Uh, But you can also check out his website and find out more about this technology and this opportunity for you to harvest the equity in your home in a very, very easy way by going to his website, which is www.quantumre.com. And that's right there in the links below. Guys, you're going to love it. And Matthew, I really, truly do appreciate you stopping by and letting us have an insight into this beautiful, amazing concept and company you've built. Shannon, thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me on. Guys, tune in next time to the Real Estate Rundown. Thanks again. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.